0: Hi, it's Wednesday, so I'm poking once again, as always, for who's the arts it is this week. There's a whole bunch of different names, but the one that I immediately zeroed in on is, I think, tomorrow, at least not olive, 21 Adar, which is my birthday, by the way. Uh, 21 Adar base. And that's Rob Zevin, Shlomo Yosef Zevin, who is, uh, I'm a groupie, I'm a fan. I'm a chazer of his. And uh, therefore, I'll speak a little bit about him. Although without exaggerating, Rab you could talk about it for six hours and not exhaust the subject. Probably I do not know who listens to this, but probably a lot of you might not know exactly what I'm talking about. Yosu Zevin was a big uh rabbinical scholar who in the in the twentieth century died in nineteen seventy. He's an old man. He's born in eighteen eighty. So he was right like, ninety when he died or something like or maybe older. I think he's born like in eighteen eighty seven. Think about that. And was an unbelievably brilliant writer. That's not only my opinion, which it is, but many. Um, let me talk about this person for a second. Uh, Shlomo Yosef was a Lubavitcher, well, or Chabad is a better word, because when he was a kid in the 1800s, Chabad was split. They used to have these dynastic quarrels, so there was Chabad A and Chabad B, you got to be into the uh, d- dynastic fights to know about this, after the Tzemach Tzedek died and all that, it doesn't matter. Anyway... He's from uh, from Belarus, as we call it today, White Russia, which is part of Lithuania. That's heavy Lubavitch territory, and non lubavitch Misnogdom. You know, this is the literature part of um of Northern Europe, of Russia and Poland. That time's part of Russia. And uh and he was, like I said, was a bad guy, and his father was a in a little town. They used to have hundreds of these little, little, little villages, towns with him, and his father was the local rove. And clearly. From an early age, he saw he's got a genius on his hands. You know, sometimes you're lucky like that. And uh, he immediately hired a rabbi for him. If this was a regular story, I wouldn't be taking your time up with this. Don't worry. Hear me out. And, you know, to teach him how to learn an extra special. And early on, he's introduced to going through Shas and lumdas and all that kind of stuff. In other words, the Litvish kind of a, a lumdas business. On the other hand, he's a Chabadnik. Uh, they were with the other side, not with the Lubavitch part at that time, with Kapust, as they called it, the Broisker. Anyway, that, that's who he was. Uh, so this is a boy growing up in a little town in Belarus in the 1890s, let's say, around the turn of the century. Uh, the rabbi's son, he's a genius. Uh, he's very influenced by the Hasidic stuff, and he's also heavy into learning. Now, there's a third component which makes him unique. This was the golden age of the Haskalah, the third wave of the Haskalah in Russia, when the Haskalah, like a, a, a ripe, uh, you know, uh, rotten fruit, uh, reached its uh, peak in terms of writing style, the golden age of Hebrew newspapers of yesteryear, I didn't say from but the golden age of Hebrew newspapers, and the era of HaNam, in which the Haskalah, which was now 100 years old, perfected a Hebrew style and a good way of writing and uh, the Hebrew newspapers were usually well edited and they discussed you used to get papers like let's put it this way uh, in Hebrew you used to get papers like once a week that would be a quality newspapers not from but everything's in Hebrew they had the from and the not from writing in the same papers and uh, there were times when there were from papers they came and went and there were not from ones anyway this is the era of yesteryear and so here's a young boy doing reading Hasidus and all that, and Gemara Rashi, Tosin and Roshonim and all that, and the newspaper, every week the newspaper. And there's no question in my mind, he obviously read Hebrew books, scholar books and things like this. They're going that time. The Jewish people in Russia were in a bad shape when he was growing up it's in the 1890s, early afterwards. The pogroms showed there's no future for the Jews in Russia. So the question is, where's it going? You know, what's going to be? And some people simply move to America. But not everybody can do that. So where's it going? And the socialists were popping up. And the Zionist movement actually started exactly in 1897 Was the first Zionist Congress, with the idea, Jews should leave Russia and go to Israel. And uh, the Haskalah wanted to replace the regular Torah culture with a secular Hebrew culture, as we know. And uh, this is, in other words, it was not like today where everybody's a dummy. You know, it's, it's uh, the, the world of ideas as different ideas for the future of the Jewish people programs were running around back and forth and this is a boy who's caught up in all this kind of stuff without taking away a key who's there from his Yiddish guy from his fromkai from his growing and learning growing in Hasidus and uh, early on it turns out you know he must have read voraciously and uh, he took to it and so from early age he's a good writer I believe he sent in articles to the Hebrew newspapers at that time not the from ones the Hebrew newspapers Hamelitz and others uh, when he's like thirteen, fourteen years old, they were published. So already, when he's a kid, he just got a talent for writing—a genius, I might say, for writing. And this was a talent that he had for his whole life. It was an unbelievably good writer. This is one. That's, this is the absolute marker of Rabbi Zevin. That there are a lot of to Chacham out there, but they can't write to save their life. That's most people. They're not a lot of people. They're very smart, but they can't say it over so well. It's a special divine gift, you might say, to be able to have. Uh, um, clarity of exposition succinctness that's a mechaia to read something don't tell me I have to read this safer because it's an obligation to do so if I have to I will but isn't it better if I say I guess, gee I like reading this like I read a book this is great you know you want to read it and as I tell you again early on in life it's already when he's a teenager you can already see this and his father sends him off to the Mir yeshiva, even though he's a chabadnik but he said we you want to go learn learn in the mirror and there, by the way, one of his is was the 3DH, the famous Yechil Yaga Weinberg. And uh, after that, he goes to, I guess you might call, a Chabad-type kollel, perhaps, that might be the right word, or, or, or an older yeshiva, which was run not by the Lubavitch side of Chabad, but the other side, you know, like I say, the two quailing dynasties. Has anybody out there ever heard of Roysk? I don't think so. Shemari and Noah, so I don't think these names mean anything to you. But anyway, that's where he's learning. He already is caught up in the world of the Haskalah. Not that he's a Haskalah at all, in the sense of not being from, but the world of ideas. And he, early on in life, is captured by Zionism. I'm talking the time of Theodor Herzl. That's what makes him so unusual. He said, it's a good idea to organize the Jewish people to move to Eretz Israel and build a Jewish state there. What's wrong with that? Better than being in the Gullus, right? In a hundred different ways. Of course, it should be from... The from Jews should work to make it from, you set up yeshivas, what we would call today Beisiyaka. Believe me, early on in his life, he's writing, before the Beisiyaka movement started, he's already writing in, in Hebrew newspapers in Russia that there should be a network for girls to keep them from and all that. He's a very interesting person. And already when he's in yeshivas, first of all, he's an eloy. Second of all, he's a Goan, you know. Some guys take to it like that. Third of all, he's Catholic in his tastes, meaning, you know... Uh, obviously, Gemara and him the things they learn in Yeshiva, but also Halacha, Shalos and Tshubis, obviously the Chabad business. You know, most, I'm not a Most, We don't realize Chabad is a whole world by itself in terms of ideas. There's a whole library, and a huge one, just of Chabad books, and he knows them all. And they're very deep and very hard. You know, from the Tanya on, there's the, you know, the Sichas and the other things. It's really, really a lot of material. And he loves this stuff. He likes other Hasidic stuff sees a voracious, unbelievable reader into walking encyclopedia. He was a young man, and he's a a writer. Here's a great story. When he's young, he writes to Rabbi Shimon Shkup, the famous Rabbi Shimon uh, Shkup, Ashila, and Rabbi Shkup sends him an answer. And Rabbi Shimon, who's a young guy, I don't know, he's 18, 20, he says, can I publish this uh, tshuva that he wrote to me? And he says... I'll, I'll let you publish on one condition. You rewrite it because you're a much better writer than him. So the old man, Rabbi Shemesh Shemuskap, is writing to the young guy. He says, "You're such a Givaliger writer. You rephrase what I wrote in, in your style. Of course he wouldn't do that. But I'm just telling you, this is the idea of being a gifted uh, you know expositor, shall we say? And so um, after this, his father died when he was young, and as a result, he inherited the father's position. Because first of all he's the father of son, that's what he's do in Europe. And second of all, he is definitely Roy Lecoch. I mean there is nobody better. And so here's somebody who's in a small town as a rough and later on in another small places. These villages no one's ever heard of, no one ever will hear of. Uh and that and that's who he is. Already this is I'm now talking the early nineteen hundreds. So if he's born in eighteen eighty seven, so figure he's twenty years old in nineteen oh seven. So it's seven years before the first world war. That's a time what we call in in English the fin de siekla, the end of the era, where the old beautiful world before World War I arose and destroyed everything. And uh, it had its ugly side, but it also had its good side. In Jewish history, especially in Eastern Europe, it was a ta- time when ideas for how to save the Jewish people were all over the place. The communists, the, the socialists, the bundists, the Yiddishists, the Zionists, of course, the from-Zionists, the non-from-Zionists, the Agoda had just started up in 1912, It was some time over there, and the papers were full of uh, these kinds of notions. Today, the Jewish world is intellectually bankrupt. You know, you're not going to find in uh, the Jewish Times or someplace like that, you know, uh, ideas about how to solve the problem of the Jewish people or anything like that. You know, they're down to fake news. I mean, you know, whatever. But at that time, it wasn't like that. And uh, he's a full participant, and he's writing in all the newspapers. And uh, already then, he's writing his Chidusha Torah as well. And uh, people say, oh, they're so well-written, and so forth. And then World War I breaks out. When World War I breaks out, the uh, Eastern Europe was the, was the battlefront. And so it was like crazy. And so life was ripped apart by the Germans and the Russians fighting each other in one big battle zone. And then in 1917, the Tsar was overthrown. And for a few months, not a long time, for a few months, it looked like there might be a... Uh, Democracy in Russia, the Kerensky uh, regime. And believe it or not, there were elections, or were they were planning to have elections. And the Frum uh, banded together to make a, a, a political party called Ahchdus. Ahchdus means the Agoran and Mizrahi, as we would say today, to present a Frum party to run in the elections. And he's was put in charge by the Gadolim of that time. You know, the Ger Rebbe, people like that. He said, put Zeman in charge of writing the... Uh, the news party newspaper and the platform and all that kind of stuff because he knows how to write and he knows how to think. And so here's a young guy and all these big rabbis are putting things into his hands. And uh, eventually he was in the Ukraine. Believe it or not, he was in the Ukrainian parliament for a while. But then, of course, the communists take over. And once that happens, this is 1918, once the once the communists take over, then the Jewish religion is in bad hands, as we know. For So believe, let me tell you something. For next... 16 years of his life? Like from 1918 to 34, whatever. These are the most heroic period in the life of Rav Zeman. What do I mean? The Lubavitcher Rebbe, by now the Lubavitcher had united back under one head, what they call the Freer Dicker Rebbe. know, two Rebbies ago. And he said, we're going to make a fight here in Russia to keep Yiddishkeit alive under the communists. Now that was crazy, but that's the, I guess you had to be crazy to try to do that. And so believe it or not, in the 1920s, and even when Stalin takes over, there's an attempt by Lubavitch and some others, uh, mainly under the Ashba, lubavitch the, the friedrich Rebbe, to try to finagle around the Soviet government to get money from the American Joint Distribution Committee and set up secret, semi-secret yeshivas, haters mikvahs, this, that, and the other. And who's the guy who's like the right-hand man or the secretary behind all this business? Evan so any moment you could be arrested by Stalin's police, you know this, they end up killing 20 million civilians. I mean, you know, this is exactly what he went after, religious people. And the only way really to stay alive is to keep your head down, and he doesn't do it. So here's a guy that never fought in an army, and he never did anything, you know, physical and not heroic. No, he's a big hero because he shows the civic courage. Well, he was ready to be most inevitable. You have to understand, you do this in Soviet Russia, you, as in Stalin's time, they, you got to be ready. That they'll ship you and your family off to Siberia and you'll work to death in a in, in assault mine. That's just plain and simple or free somewhere or whatever. And uh, he was together Bob, in those years. It didn't work because they misjudged the Soviet regime. They thought they could stick with them like they did under the czars. Wrong. And as the t- Soviet regime tightened its grip, all these Lubavitch things and other attempts closed down. It's a, quite a story. I can't go into it now. There were secret... Litvishy, she was in Minsk and other places. Uh, parents risked their lives to send, to give their kids a Jewish education. It's, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing set of stories. Believe it or not, there was a Kirov program secretly going on at Moscow University right on the nose of the Soviets. It's, uh, like I say, endless story. And Zevin was smack in the middle of the whole business. Smack in the whole thing. I would call this the, the heroic years. And eventually, as I'm sure many of you know... The Lobabacherby was arrested, but because there was an international outcry, they didn't kill him. They kicked him out of Russia. Of course there's no such thing as being kicked out of Soviet Russia. It's escaping from Soviet Russia. And he became a hero, but he left Zevin behind. And so he tried afterwards to get him out. But it wasn't so easy. it was only in the nineteen thirties. I think in thirty one, uh, Zevin and and uh what was he uh, Bromsky wrote, really? Keskell Bromsky were arrested. Yeah, here's how it goes. They, they they did something nuts. This is just crazy. They set up, uh, started publishing a from newspaper, Yag del Torah. No, it's Hidushim, uh, you know, Torah articles. Now, you'll tell me like this there's nothing political in a Torah article. I agree, but not from the point of view of Lenin and Stalin. Anything that's religious, that's like attack on the Soviet Union. That's how they took it. And the money's coming from uh, the states in America. You know who wrote in this uh, magazine, among others? besides Chesko Feinstein. he was a rabbi in, the, in, in white Russia, also Belarus, you know, in the Soviet Union. And that's all you need. When the regime finds out that they're publishing stuff, that's it. So Bromsky was arrested in Moscow and seven, and Bromsky was sent to, to uh, Siberia for a while, but there was an international outcry, and that's a very interesting story, but I can't go into it now. They got him out in '31, and they went to London, or in early '32. And then he tried his best to interest people to get Rozevin out, and Rozevin finally got out in '34, early '35. Very unusual that people get out of Stalin's Russia. It reflects the fact that if you named a name and made somebody an international figure like, a, like a Sharansky was in our time, then Stalin was, was smart enough to say, get rid of this guy and make this uh, particular cause or issue, anti-Soviet issue, go away, which it did. And so the long and the short of it is Rozevin's family... Him, his wife and he had one, sh- one son and one daughter. they uh, made it to Eris Israel to Palestine in 1934, I think, early 35. Just before the death of Rav Cook, I think they met for a week, Rav Cook was uh, one of the people, together with Rabchaim Eiser, Grurzehensky and others, who pulled strings behind the corner to behind the scenes to get Rose out. Rochaim Eiser, Even though Rozevan, as we'll see, was a big Zionist, a big Zionist, and Rochaim Eiser headed a gooder that's got nothing to do with anything said, this is a treasure, that's what he said this is an eiser, and if you save this man, you will n- never regret it, so they don't say that about you and me now um, came to Israel, now what do you do and the guy's what, 45, 50 years old, close to 50 what do you do uh, there were no yeshivas at that time, and even if they had been a yeshiva, he's not a Haredi what do I mean he's not a Haredi, he's a card-carrying Zionist it's really funny. The, you have to understand, this is a very unusual scenario I'm saying over here. Somebody growing up in that Kufa, the Gedolim, meaning Reb Chaim Brisker and the Lubavitcher Rebbe and others, in the pre-war years especially, were fiercely anti-Zionist. They published a famous um, book with all their letters against Zionism, uh, Rechaim and the Lubavitcher Rebbe and others, uh, very bitter. It's called Orla Yisharim. It's probably online somewhere. And uh, what kind of a person is a chassid, and the Rebbe is anti-Zionist, I mean, strongly anti-Zionist, and you're Zionist. It's a funny phenomenon. That's why I say. This is not the typical story. And he himself told the story of Zevin. Listen to this. When he was in the Babroisker, yeshiva, kolel, whatever, you know, in the Lubavitch situation, uh, the Kapust situation, and, and um, in 1904, Herzl died, Theodor Herzl. And a guy came to town to give a husband for Theodor Herzl. And the Rebbe, the Hasidic Rebbe, the head of the yeshiva and, the, and the, the, what we would call the Chabad Rebbe, said, nobody's allowed to go to that. And anybody does will be canast, I don't know, $10, $20, whatever amount of money. And Rabbi Zebim said, I went to the and I came back and I paid the money, I was glad to do so. Now why didn't they throw him out? They're not crazy. He's a diamond. So you got to give him some room. You say, give him some room. And that's what Rabbi Zebim was. People couldn't understand. How's a guy like this? Who's so tight were of Chaim Brisker, to Gar Rebbe, and all the rest of it. And they were so anti Zionist, and he's a stark Zionist. A Mizrahi type, of course. But that's who he was, you know. Now, um, the result is he couldn't get a job in Yeshiva. I don't think he wanted, I didn't think he had the Teva to be Rabbi Bashol, you know, that type. I, that's my impression. Although he knows more than anybody else. So, believe it or not, he had a job in the teacher seminar of Mizrahi. And at that time, the Mizrahi movement did not have yeshivas, uh, they were dumb. Uh, they let that alter go, and that's why the go uh, rules the East World. <laughs> right? The Mizrahi was under control. of People didn't see that. Instead, they had uh, teacher seminaries to train to train teachers to, to teach in, in day schools, uh, and so that's really zok of It's not something for somebody to statue them, but that's where he had to teach. Um, and now starts a very interesting period in his career because. The head of the Mizrahi Moon was Mayor Berlin, Mayor Barlan, who was the son of the Nitzv. And Meir Barlan was a Koch level. He ran around all over the world. He knew everybody. Uh, he certainly was a good friends with Robert Ruderman, for example, Chaim uh, Meiser, and all the rest of it. And he was the leader of the religious Zionists. And uh, he started a newspaper, Hatzofet, in uh, 1937 or 36, And he said to Roseman, and he says, listen, we need a good writer you were writing back in the newspapers in Russia, and the Hebrew newspapers. This will be a from religious Zionist newspaper. you would be one of our columnists or something like that. And uh, write about whatever you want to write about. Well, he did. Everything he wrote is like a diamond. People weren't used to this. Who is this guy? What the heck happened over here? This is an article I can read on on high brisker, and I understand the lambdas. He's explaining something from Hashem I understand the lambdas all these ideas in the Gemara, you know how it is. Let's be perfectly honest. A lot of people have been in the yeshiva, but they have no clarity. You understand? No clarity. Now, in most places, the the teachers, the rabbis, they'll say, if you don't have clarity, it's your fault. You're a dummy. You understand? It's not my fault. It's your fault. If you would have prepared better, if you'd be more diligent, although you'd understand the things clearly, if your chas are over, that's not the attitude of people here. Rabbi Zeban says, if you don't understand, it's not clear. It's my fault. So they have to make it more clear. Okay? And so the result is his articles start appearing and blowing away people in Israel because he writes in a masculine, very clear, very nice style, but it's all Torah and lumdas. And so he wrote these articles, and they eventually they were put in the books. And, you, it, and the world became introduced to something called the Zevin style. So first of all, uh, right off the bat, he had a series of articles in the paper Every time a holiday came up. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Pesach, and so forth. Eventually these were collected into one book called Hamodim Balochah, the Festival of Zalocha. This is a book that if you don't read it, shame on you. If you don't use Hamodim Balochah, it's out. It's reprinted a thousand times. It's so good that even the art scroll, which is Agurah, and Mizrahi, even they published it a Festivals Festival of And that's because it's amazing. Now it's, uh, He the, he, I'll tell you again, he just has this unique style. If you can read Hebrew, read in the Hebrew. If you can't he, read Hebrew, get the art scroll, the English. He writes like a, a, a chatty, like a newspaper column, like, how you doing, my friend? And by the way, here's... The four basic things you know about Hokus Pesach, and here's the three chakiris and Khamets. and here's what the ragachover says over here, and, uh, you know, the Beis Yosef says over here, and Yeritza Gulchanah says this here, and this one has the kasha over there, but not in the way I'm saying it. In a very clear and very charming style. He has a wonderful style. It's Mosheikh, as they call it. Like I said before, he makes it fun to read about halacha and things like that. And so it's meant for the... It really meant it for the Talmud but it, the the half-educated layman today, if you put a little bit of time and effort into it, I strongly recommend to you know that to get this book and to use it. The truth of the matter is, the Shiva guys also don't use it. Uh, that's stupid. But what are you going to do? Uh, if anybody, or or or, or a generally don't use it, uh, it's an underused resource. Although it's although the smart people will use it. So I'll just give you one example off the top of my head. Pesach is around the corner, and uh, Hilchus Pesach, Pesach is a huge subject, right? And especially when you get the chametz and matzah and bittel and, uh, you know, rove and, uh, I don't know, all the taruvus chametz. You know, there are a hundred complicated topics, for example. And he like covers like so and so many of them, and he makes it clear, and he explains the different opinions that were shown him, and the footnotes have the achronim. It's, it, all I can tell you is, either you take my word for it, or you don't. If you don't, you're stupid. This is something that's really, really good, and everybody should use the Moan Malocha. And if you have trouble learning it by yourself, I can only strongly recommend do you make a chavrusa with somebody. I mean this very much. Make a chavrusa to go through Rav Zevin. The So, before Pesach, you do Pesach. Before Shavuos, you do Shavuos, and so forth. You know, before, uh, what is it called? Lagbomer, you do lagbomer. And you'll come away actually knowing something. You won't be such a dummy, you yeah? know? It, because he just has... He knows everything. And he knows the from stuff and the non from stuff. He knows the Hasidish stuff, the Miznagish stuff. He knows the Lambdus. He knows the Shalas and Shubas. He knows the Rishonim. He knows the Achronim. It's just it is what it is. Um, he also... Over the course of his career, in the HaTsofe, he ended up writing all kinds of other articles, which are collected later into into books. So his sfarim are usually, not always, but usually, collections of articles he published over the course of the years. And again, they're amazing. They're magisterial. I'm opening in front of me one book called Leora al He has like three, four books that everybody should be familiar with. And Leora al as the title says, is articles he wrote in the Israeli newspapers, because that's what he writes it for in the Israeli newspapers to acquaint the public with distinct, discrete topics. He has a huge thing on milchama. I'm sure he did that in 48 and after 48 when they have the new state of Israel. And uh, just take it from me. They're all kind of halachas of Abi milchama and gittin about Melchama and rules and the stories in the Torah and uh, who goes, who doesn't go. Obviously, this is a sensitive topic. Do you draft the yeshiva guys? You don't draft the yeshiva guys. And things of that nature uh, they're all covered in there. He has an unbelievably clear, magisterial, long essay on Shemitah. That obviously had to do with the Shemitah controversy. Rav Zevin, of course, is a Mizrahi guy, so therefore, you wouldn't know by looking at him, but he is. And so he supports the, the chief ravenate, and he will give you all the reasons uh, of all the opinions for and against the Heter Mechir, as they call it, what's the background in terms of the Rises and the Rabbonans, what's the famous debates in the past, on off the top of my head, between the Base Yosef and the Mabit, you know about uh, Eretz Yisrael and whether Yesh uh, Keni um to lotzi Eretz Yisrael mitruma some and all that sort of business. But if you go over here over the course of time, he has these diamonds. Uh, he has about Hakel Noshim uh Bris Menabasarem. Where these appear in in the Halacha swarm? Uh, oh, one after another after another. Shabbos Eretz Yisrael Shir Hashirim. Meaning where does Shir Hashirim appear in Chazal in Halacha in Charles and Chubas? Where does the Oz Yasher do like that? Tell me everything there is to know about Chodesh Elul. Tell me about a chauffeur, a Rosh, Hash, Rosh Chodesh, Moed. I'm not going to go through the whole. HaKuzri B'halacha, Anytime the, the Kuzri, and it's, for example, the Kuzri is famous about the International Dateline. Who writes these He invented a style of his own. Sometimes it's off the wall, but that's because he knows the public. Now he's writing for the Israeli public, and he wants everybody to read it, and he wants to show you the perspective of the Torah on famous uh, controversies or, or literary matters. The best one is Shylock, <laughs> right? He's got Mishpat Shylock. You know, Shylock demanded a pound of flesh. Do we have such precedents? Is it just Shakespeare's Mishagas? Or do you find such uh, uh, ideas, perhaps, in the Shubhas rush as he puts it, or places like that? And only, only what he calls Zevin can make a thing called, <laughs> you know, Mishpat Shylock Baalacha. Uh, you know, he's the only guy who could do that. And so it's just interesting to read all the stuff all the issues that were on the hot plate in Israel in the 50s I guess, in the 60s he has these brilliant essays about unfortunately they're not translated in English but I'm sure one day, but the Hebrew is very easy or I can't say it's easy but it's very elegant and very nice and very clear and then he made a saver called Ishim B'Shito's Again, he's the only guy who can do this. He has halachic biographies over here. I mean, intense intellectual biographies of famous rabbis from the last century. I'm mean, being Dinetziv, Reb Chaim Brisker, the Rugged the Orsamayach, Reb Meiser, Rav Cook, Pe- Reb, Reb Barber, the Chazanish. It's amazing. Now, these aren't these stupid little biographies where they tell stories, you know, like a, an art school book for the public or something like that. These are, as I say, intellectual biographies. Here's the Chazanish. Look what he said over here. That contradicts what the you Khazni know, the, the Cheskel said over there. And here the, here the Chazniah is introducing himself into a debate between the Beis Yosef and somebody else, Hilchus Nina. And here's Rechaim Meiser. What, what do we find in his style of, of writing? You know What characterizes that? The best one was Rechaim Brisker. How do you do that? He was friends. He was, like I say, Reva was an exception. So even though he's a Mizrahi, everybody gave him space. At least the, the the big people, so the Brisker Rav of all people, who certainly was an anti-Zionist, he said, "Let me see what you wrote about my father, you know, Baruch and he said, "You know, all of it's great. Just one point I disagree with. Everything else is fantastic." And uh, like I said, there is nobody I know of who writes intellectual biographies, Torah biographies, and Torah in the sense of of the content the way he does of these great people. Again, did it see Baruch Baer, you, know, uh, you know, the Richard Zalman Meltzer. It's just just amazing. Ishim Meshitos, And then, see what I'm doing? I'm just going through a whole bunch of books at you. I just want you to acquaint the reader that this exists. He also wrote Hasidic Tales. He published a couple of volumes of Sipur Hasidim. In fact, others, big rabbis, came there and said, what are you doing the Hasidish business It'll make you look like a dummy? And he said, I don't care. I'm not, you know, I am a dummy, <laughs> Because he was a Tzadik. He was a Tzadik. And he didn't care. He'd rather help the public. It doesn't matter what people think about him. It's unbelievable. And um, it's... it's uh, I mean, there are many stories of, mm-hmm. of Tsidkas mm-hmm. about him. It, it, that's just who he was. Uh, now, I'll just I'll share two more, because I can go on and on and on, or maybe I'll save some for some future years. He has three volumes. That I picked up in Israel long ago that were collected from his... Uh, newspaper articles, what should I say, you know, the the New York Review of Books, you know, the the Review of Books in which there are book reviews in the newspapers about the new books come out. He has them on Svarim, on Halacha, on uh, Zohar, on, um, what you call it, A Pilpul, on uh, Lambdas, on uh, Hasidus, on Chabad, on, uh, oh my goodness, everything, it, 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 it's, 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 Torah uh, Shlema, uh, and Chuvis, who writes, a book review uh, of the Shalos and Tubas. That means you have to know everything, cold and you have to be able to write in, in, in an elegant way. What's new about this, say for him? What ideas does he put in there? Do you do not find anywhere else? Uh, a book review, a book review of the Marcheshes. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Now, this is not for everybody necessarily, because here you have to be a little bit more learned and scholarly. But for anybody that has any shaykhs of this, I'm just trying to introduce you into Matthias. And baby, this has been around since 1959. <laughs> You know, uh, shame on you if you don't know about it. This has been around uh, forever. And uh, it's just amazing. You see, the guy's a genius, and he is broad, and he sees very far away, and uh, he's able to put it over great. That's why he attained a special status in the eyes of the Israeli public. When the chief rabbi Herzog died in 59, the all the leaders in Israel, including... Ben Gurion, especially Eshkol. Eshkol, who was Amart's derisive, if you've ever, you ever seen one, Eshkol told Zem, and he says, You're the only rabbi I can understand what it means when I, when I read something for you in the paper. And I'm a big Amart, so if I can understand it, anybody can understand it. I want you to be the Rav Rashi of Israel. You just give me the word, and you're in. Because Israel was like a corrupt, you know, Tammany Hall at that time. If Eshkol controlled all the levers of power, and he again, and Reb Zemn didn't want it to, he said, so That's not who I am. And I might say the Labavitcher Rebbe in New York with whom Reb Zevin was close, even though he we never went to see him, wrote to me, he "Don't. I don't think you should run for Chief Rabbi Israel because then you'd be politics, and you won't be able to do what you excel in, and you're not a politician, and you are going to have more hashpa on the Israeli broad public, the Chiloni public, as a writer, than you will if you enter the world of politics, which was true. You know, Bob Zeman was right. Same thing why he didn't want to run for the Knesset. But I want to be very clear. Reb Zeman, every time there was an election in Israel... He published a letter, vote for the Mizrahi. You understand? Give him all your votes. And uh, he said, he said, halloween and He went to the Moser of Cook to dive in their special. Now, he didn't say a bracha. That's his opinion. But he dived the Minion where they had a bracha. He said, I don't hold from saying a bracha. But I do hold very much that you should say and Yom Because how can you deny this miracle that we have the state of Israel? It's unbelievable. You understand? I mean, how can you let it go with nothing? And they asked him, what about Ben-Gurion? So he said for a joke, he says, I say Hallel, and then I say Tachnod. I say Hallel for the Medina, and I say Tachnod for Ben-Gurion, you know. Well, that was a joke. The fact of the matter is he was an intense Zionist, which really made him not so popular in the Yeshiva world. That's the thing. I think the main reason why people never give him big respect, when I was growing up, that's what my impression was. Uh, and a lot of people don't re- didn't read his form when I was a kid, was because he was strongly identified with the religious Zionists and the Yeshibas were the opposite. Now in his case it's crazy because he was in a class by himself. But politics is politics and people used to say dumb and stupid things just like they do now. And as a result, uh, he didn't get the credits that he should get, which is fine with me, because that means I'm reading his farm, and I notice information, the other people don't. So it's like these other things. And if the other I can use it and then people don't know where I get it from, you know? It's all straight and seven. Now he had one other giant project, and that's Encyclopedia Talmud, But that's almost like a, a a story by itself. And I'm not, and that that became the big love of his life, and spent the last 25 years, or 30. Well, let me get this straight: 35 years of his life um, getting into, and just imagine what Encyclopedia Talmudic is. But my, I've gone way over the regular time. And as you see, I'm very enthusiastic in the subject, and I could easily go another 35 minutes just talking about the which is the number one cheater book of all times it's the most unbelievable thing out there but again I don't think so many people use it but be that as it may um, I think I'll save that Mir uh, Shem for some future time uh, I've given you plenty of, of room to think of but this guy with a big Tzadik and uh, you know there's a famous story just off the top of my head <laughs> you know uh, a, 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 some Russian Shiba came to visit him in his house with a bunch of students and you know, you got to show off. So he told him some chidish he had in the Yamar and all the rest of it, and some uh, new uh, diuk. And after he left, or if he showed his grandson, I was there, he opened up a toast for somewhere, and is the exact opposite of what this guy said. No, it was all wrong. And the son asked him, he said, then why didn't you show it to him? He said, You think I would show him something like in front of his students? Were you crazy? I want to embarrass somebody. See, this is, this is a great man. So I'll leave it at this, even though I've only scratched the surface. And this is a, a, somebody I could come back to on another time, but that's enough for now. I'll give you plenty of food for thought. The, the, the art site should be tomorrow. Bye-bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.